The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Test, test, awesome. All right, uh, let's call to order at uh, 5.02, the May 17th uh, historic Kalamazoo Historic District Commission meeting. Uh, could we have a roll call vote, please? Not a vote, but just a roll call, sorry. Present. Here. Okay, we are missing uh, Dana, who uh, is an excused absence, um, and we are also missing Eric Stuckey. So, um, can we have a motion to approve the absences? All right, motion from John. Can we have a second? Second. Thank you, Andrew. Um, those in favor, let's say aye. 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 Any opposed? Hearing none, the absences are approved. Uh, Luis, is there any changes to the agenda as it's written? Uh, well, no changes to the agenda. Um, just want to, again, remind people to use their microphones today. Thank you. All right, do we have a motion to approve the agenda? So moved. Second. Thank you. Those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Hearing none, 
The agenda is approved. Introduction of guests. Um, yeah, I will do the introduction. Jamie McCarthy is joining us today from uh, Community Planning and Economic Development to give a presentation on the Community Sustainability Plan. Great, thank you. I don't see any other guests, so assuming there are none. Uh, any public comments on non-agenda items? Nope. All right, Louise, would you read the disclaimer, please? Chapter 16, Section 22 of the City of Kalamazoo Code of Ordinance states, historic preservation is a, pr a public purpose. To serve that purpose, the Historic District Commission is hereby charged with the following responsibilities. A, the Kalamazoo Historic District Commission is empowered to regulate work on the exterior of historic resources and non-historic resources in the historic districts in the City of Kalamazoo and shall otherwise have all powers invested in Historic District Commissions pursuant to the Local Historic Districts Act uh, MCLA 399.201, 1970 PA 169, as amended 1992. To regulate work on other resources which by city ordinance are historic or non-historic resources located within local historic districts, including but not limited to the moving of any structure into or out of or the building of any structure in an historic district. The following documents are available in the Community Planning and Economic Development Department located at 245 North Rose Street. These documents will help assist property owners in understanding the responsibilities of owning property in a local historic district. MCLA 399.201, 1970 PA 169 is amended 1992. Um, Michigan Local Historic District Act. Code of Ordinances, City of Kalamazoo. Chapter 16, Historic Districts, Secretary of the Interior Standards for Rehabilitation and Guidelines for Rehabilitating Historic Buildings, 1990, Standards and Guidelines for Kalamazoo Historic Districts and Maps of uh, Kalamazoo Local Historic Districts. These documents and maps are also available on the City of Kalamazoo website at www.kalamazooCity.org forward slash historic preservation. Thank you, Louise. All right, first up, uh, Jamie McCarthy. <laughs> I'll be fast, three minutes and done. <laughs> well, thanks for having me tonight and for giving me a little bit of time on your agenda. As Louise said, my name is Jamie McCarthy. I've been in community planning and economic development for a little over three years. And one of the first projects that I started uh, about a year in was picking up some pieces of sustainability planning that the city had um, started just previous to uh, my starting with the department. So it's been several years, just over two years now, um, and we have a draft plan that we're calling our Community Sustainability Plan. It's out for public comment. You have a table in front of you that has, uh, it's a very long list of the different actions and strategies that the city is looking to take over the next 10 plus years, really very long-term planning. So I'm gonna tell you a little bit about that plan, how you can give public input. I think also about the ways in which um, the plan will interact with um, folks who live in historic districts. There's gonna be a lot in there that you're gonna see about energy efficiency and improving buildings and even looking into um, solar energy. My computer's decided to fall asleep at this very minute. Give me just one second, I'll pull up these slides. 
Okay, back in business. All right, let's get started here. Uh, first, I want to let everyone know where you can find the plan. So if you go to imaginekalamazoo.com, you will see um, in our projects list sustainability, and you can navigate to that website, and you'll be able to read a copy right on the website or download a copy, um, and you can place and provide comments on the plan uh, on that same page. You can always uh, visit our office at 245 North Rose. We have um, copies in print there if folks want to read them. And um, you're also welcome, if online comments aren't your thing, you can give me a call or you can always drop off comments in the um, Dropbox here at City Hall. Um, just to give you a little bit of background, like I mentioned, we've been working on this for a couple of years. We kicked it off in the fall of 2019 with a kickoff event and a lot of pop-up engagement booths at different community events throughout the uh, city. We then went um, forward with a community sustainability survey. We wanted to kind of measure and understand what was important to our residents. Um, we also held some focus groups and some what we called our consult sessions and the idea was really to um, talk to the folks who are working in all of these different disciplines in all of these different areas of the city we talked to neighborhood associations just to make sure we were really focusing in on the right priorities and um, activities here at the city uh, step four was a rather lengthy process. We started taking all of the information that we gathered. We had a steering committee that helped us um, sort of set some of our guiding principles and uh, help us shape the plan. And so we went into kind of internal to the city. We started drafting a plan. And then we brought that back to all of our departments to get some consensus. Are these activities that you're able to do or strategies that work with uh, within your departments, what would have to change to be able to do a lot of these things. And then we also had some external folks to the city who acted as reviewers and gave us input as well. And then now we're to, you know, spring uh, in the last two months, we released this plan to the public and are asking um, really for some feedback on some of the priorities that we recommended uh, in the plan. And I'll talk about those in just a minute. So what came out of this, um, all of this, you know, several years work are 10 overarching goals. Those are really vision setting and then 29 strategies to help us accomplish those goals and 81 actions. So you see those in that table. It's long and it's big um, and you can kind of dig into all the different areas of work that's proposed. They're really broken down into these four chapters. So. The pink bus is really all about the transportation network here at the city, uh, making it greener, making sure we're offer, offering and um, encouraging non-motorized transportation <coughs> so people aren't always reliant on the personal vehicle. And then also thinking about electric vehicle charging, things that are gonna be into the future, how can we plan now for um, adapting to that kind of stuff. The second chapter there, Affordable Efficient City, is all about energy, and that's where you're gonna see a lot of that um, home energy efficiency focus and um, uh, waste reduction in our commercial and industrial type buildings as well. And uh, we also have some work we wanna do on really encouraging more renewable energy in the city uh, and encouraging a lot of private investment in that, but also doing our part at the city. And uh, there's some uh, goals around uh, electrifying or making the city's fleet more efficient. I think that'll even include sort of downsizing our fleet over time uh, to be more efficient. 
The fourth chapter is Healthy Prepared Community, or the third, and that one's um, really focused on resilience and adaptation, thinking about public health and the natural environment and things we can do to improve both of those. And the last chapter is all about uh, the local food economy, trying to really support that uh, and the, the many stakeholders that we have here in Kalamazoo who work on that topic, and then also um, reducing waste, reusing, recycling, uh, focused on activities like that. Uh, if you dig into the plan, you're going to see these graphics in every chapter, which I would recommend. That's like that's where you go. It's a it's a long uh, it's a long plan, and this is kind of the way to get to the meat of the plan. So you'll see each of the 29 strategies has one of these boxes. It talks about the actions, which are meant to be flexible, but give us as staff kind of a work plan for the next um, 10 years. And I really want to point out this feasibility scale that we created um, through some of the committees we work with. We got the question, okay, there's a lot of stuff in here, and a lot of it's probably, you know, a big lift. What's really actionable and what's more aspirational, right? Like, we got to get there someday. What can we really expect that we're going to see and work on in the near term? And so if you're on the more, if, if a strategy is on the more actionable end, those are ones that are really much uh, much more ready to go. We're in a good position to get those started. And aspirational are important, uh, but maybe we need something big or we need, um, uh, we're going to need to do a lot more work to set that one up um, to be ready to implement. And so that's just an important scale. I think it's a useful scale to kind of get a sense of, you know, what's ready to go, ready to launch, and uh, what's going to be further out into the future. And you can see from this example, uh, increasing the tree canopy across the city, right? We're planting hundreds of trees every year like we haven't before. I think our goal for next year is 500 trees in the public right-of-way. But that's going to take a whole lot of years to plant those and for them to grow in and to care for those. And then we also know there's um, a public piece of that, that, you know, to really expand the tree canopy, we need private landowners to be planting those trees and caring for those trees as well. And so it's really a much longer-term kind of activity and strategy. Okay, you have the table in front of you, so I won't go over this one, uh, but you can see a breakdown of all sorts of information. As far as that feasibility, what the city's role might be, timeline, um, lead departments. And I would point out that the collaborators is an important way for the community to connect with this plan and see where the city feels like we need help and we need partnerships. And so that's an opportunity for other groups to get involved. So the top six strategies that we're looking uh, for input on from, our, from the community are listed here. Three of them are in chapter three, which is that energy chapter, which um, really is probably the most unique at the city. We have a lot of overlap with many of our goals and strategies and other plans, but the energy one is, is pretty unique. We don't have another type of energy kind of plan at the city. So the three there, the one at the top, is um, removing barriers and developing more tools that will help folks make decisions to invest in solar and make it more feasible for them. Uh, and then the last two are energy-related. Um, and the second to the last one is probably one of the most important that we know we want to be working on right away, which is retrofit and weatherize our existing buildings uh, to really reduce any waste, uh, energy waste, um, trying to you know, work with what we have and save energy in that way. And then the, the last one there, um, we know that one of the best ways to um, 
increase solar energy is to do it ourselves at the city, so a pilot project to really kind of learn from that and see how we scale up and then uh, share our lessons learned with, um, with the community and then also across the community with our other um, regional uh, governments as well. And then the three in the middle there, and these are in no particular order, but the three in the middle are all one from each of the other chapters. So for green economy, we're looking at, um, we want to do a bit of testing and a revising of our policies and ordinances in the city to make sure we're not creating a barrier with those uh, ordinances that are supposed to be, you know, we want to encourage some of these things. So we don't want to unintentionally uh, create barriers to growing local food um, or uh, uh, composting, you know, other kind of beneficial waste uh, activities we could be doing. Um, the next one there is uh, working with our uh, zoning code and development to encourage more density for more sustainable land use. And then the last one is continuing really in some ways to invest in programs we already have that um, protect community health. And really the big one here is um, some of our lead abatement programs where um, really making progress on replacing lead drinking water lines. And we have just um, started in a program with federal dollars to um, abate lead in homes uh, uh, to you know, protect uh, family health in that way. We also have what we call our high priority wait list. So these were, act, these were strategies that are really important to the community, but they didn't rank very high on that feasibility scale. And many of them are because they have long timelines or complex timelines or they have significant costs that haven't been identified yet. And so you can see things like flooding, which we know is a major uh, concern in the community, uh, tree canopy, converting our city's fleet to electric and um, investing more in our stormwater infrastructure. All of these things we also felt like if one, if one, um, if one factor kind of changed, so maybe uh, we had an opportunity or a funding source that came along for uh, converting fleet, that we want to be prepared to do that quickly, right? To flip this to one of those priority type activities. And so I think all four of these on that list kind of work in that way. They're kind of just missing either a technology or a policy or a funding source that could flip them pretty easily. So what's next? We are taking public comment through May 23rd, so that's Monday. If you want to pop, uh, pop on imaginekalamazoo.com, we also have kind of a checklist or a, a multiple choice way to give your feedback so you don't have to just come up with anything uh, too new. Uh, we're going to take all of that public comment. We've already kind of been collecting all of that, and we're going to make any final changes to the plan, any little edits and changes. We've gotten some that look like we want to make those. Uh, we'll have a final plan out at the end of May, beginning of June. And then our plan is to present that to City Commission on June 6, hopefully for their adoption. And then, you know, we're really preparing. It's budget season at the city. We're already thinking about what is it that we're tackling uh, right away after the plan is adopted to hopefully implement quickly. Thank you. If you have any questions, happy to take those now. Yeah, I think that we could have some uh, time for light questions now. And then if uh, Jamie's okay with it, um, other questions could be directed to her um, by phone or email correspondence. But I think that we could take five or 10 minutes of questions if anyone has any right now. 
I do, yeah. So um, you're, you're presenting to us so that we are working that into like basically some of our considerations for historic stuff moving forward, or is that where we tie in? Yeah, I think there's going to be um, some work, uh, especially as we start looking into uh, solar permitting or trying to encourage projects in certain neighborhoods that we may be coming to this commission and um, thinking about ways that we work together or make sure that we can um, make those things kind of happen in historic districts. I think it's just being aware, too, that um, I, I know this this group and um, the Historic Preservation Commission have both worked a lot with homeowners in um, historic districts who need to do improvements to their home. And so I just wanted to make sure that you realize like we have that shared goal of helping folks um, uh, improve their homes. And so it could be an opportunity for partnership in the future. Uh, on that solar permitting, that's, uh, that's just in relation to the historic district is what, is what you're saying, how it'll work in with that? Or is the city thinking about having some type of uh, structure in place to okay solar? I, it may touch individual homes across the city, including in the historic district. I think the immediate need is going to be for any larger solar arrays. We've had, you know, some interest on larger buildings and um, some of the, our larger open spaces in the city. And I know we're going to need a more um, thorough permitting uh, process, review and permitting process for that type of activity. But um, we want to make sure that we're, um, as we go through our ordinances, again, that we're um, not uh, causing any barriers or at least trying to remove barriers that are possible. And so uh, we're hoping, you know, in the historic district, the same thing would happen. I know it sounds like you've had some approvals already and haven't run into too many problems, but it's something we want to look at a bit closer and make sure we're understanding any problems. I know um, we've run into a case where um, the fire code has kind of uh, caught us up a little bit in limiting how many solar panels could be on a roof. And so we want to look into that a lot closer and see if we can kind of get the, set it up for success so that when homeowners want to want to move on something like this, um, we can kind of cut through some of the red tape. Okay. And then uh, one other one is uh, what uh, that you know of or uh, how many cities in the United States you know of have implemented this a sustainability action table and that and how far along are they with it and obviously you probably gleaned some stuff from other places but I don't know who yeah. put this all together but um, I'm probably most familiar with Michigan uh, because I have connected with um, similar staff at other cities um, I think we have uh, four or five maybe a half dozen or more leading cities in Michigan who um, have adopted similar plans probably just in the last couple of years, um, aside from Ann Arbor, which I won't compare us to ever. Uh, I think they've been doing this for like two decades. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, so I think it's, it's a newer thing. Um, and probably of our size city, we're probably one of the first, especially with, um, I would say, this many actions and goals. Um, but I think it's the way we're going to see a lot of cities going. And, and I think that's part of the reason why uh, we opted not to do a really strict climate plan uh, with a lot of greenhouse gas numbers because it's just not, it's, it's hard to do at this size. And we haven't seen a lot of other cities uh, doing that. Um, we learned a little bit about um, lead abatement recently, which was really helpful. And I think we've seen two cases in the last little bit where that was involved. I was kind of curious, um, one of the 
I think it was one of the primary action uh, pieces was about weatherization and retrofitting of older buildings. And I would expect that we will see some of that on this board. Is there funding available that would be helpful for us to know about as we're having discussions with homeowners? Um, certainly our city's lead program for income qualified homes, uh, we do have a lead abatement program. Um, I think that's part of our charge here is that we don't have funding identified for um, large scale home improvements. We've started with um, a pilot with some FFE dollars to help folks um, raise their home energy score. We used a Department of Energy um, audit and scoring system. Uh, but we've done about you know five homes so far. And so we know from that experience that we really need to figure out how we scale up. And I think that's gonna take partnership with um, uh, some bigger entities, especially our local utility. Uh, so I can, um, as I get those resources together and uh, we're looking at starting a, a new website going from the planning phase to the implementation phase, and I can certainly pass those along. Um, but the idea is that we'll help advertise and get the word out about different programs throughout the city. And I think that'll be, unless, Jeremy, do you have a question? No, no, I, I'm just going to say that I think that that's our, you know, our commission is sort of charged with protecting the resources and we're always struggling with homeowners who are, say, well, that's expensive. And, you know, so I think that's really the crux of the always, right? It's where the money's going to come from. So, you know, I, I appreciate the presentation. Thank you. Yeah, and Jamie, if you're okay with it, I'll just pass your information along to all of the commissioners. And if you have further questions, you can send them to her via email or uh, call her and leave a message, I'm sure. So um, thank you so much for presenting. Thank you. Thanks, right. Louise. Thank you. All right, moving on, we have no old business uh, and looks like we have some new business. So... I will say I don't see a representative here from uh, the first thing on the agenda. Um, okay. So I think that we can move that down to the bottom to respect the other applicant's time and then move on uh, with the second item. So 714 Locust? Yes. If you could come up and state your name for the record and tell us about uh, your project, please. conference room. <laughs> Steve Kellogg. Nice. So I brought some um, other handouts that will probably help us get some more Just to interject briefly, Steve, so every applicant or every uh, commissioner up here has the drawings that you sent to me. So they have all of those drawings already. I don't know if those are included, any of the handouts that you're going to bring up, but just wanted to let you know. Um, and then uh, I think that we can just start here, Casey, and then I may just uh, call out some numbers of pages as we move through them if the discussion warrants that so we can all be on the same page and um, the people at home can be on the same page too. So. I attempted to uh, streamline it so that we could make that happen easier on my stuff. I should have been doing while we were.
So basically, this is um, a, a renovation of a, a home on Locust Street. Um, the primary issues um, are replacement of siding, soffit, fascia kind of thing. Um, there's a, right now, wood siding, you probably have photographs of it. Um, and the, the primary issue is maintenance cost and the you know, uh, life cycle cost of the replacing the materials in kind. So what I'm attempting to discuss today is really the use of alternative materials like PVC trim, um, engineered wood siding, uh, or engineered wood trim. And um, please try to speak into the microphone as much as you can. Sir, I'm sorry. Please try to speak into the microphone as much as you can. Okay, sorry. Got it. Thank you. So the, the, um, the home has sort of multiple additions, and so they, they represent multiple periods in time, I assume. Um, the, the <coughs> he's probably going to tackle this in stages, um, so some of it's uh, sort of future. But if you, the easiest way to deal with what, what I want to talk about would be Eve Detail number two. And if we just start with the siding, um, cedar siding today is 47.50 a stick. So a 16-foot stick is $47.50. Of that stick, <clears throat> you, you know, you got a four-inch exposure. So it's expensive stuff. And, and that's just the raw material. Yeah, if you're painting it, you know, if you assume uh, you know, a coat of primer and two coats of paint, you're talking another dollar fifty a lineal foot. So, you know, the, the cedar cedar siding product would be like seventy-one dollars and fifty cents. Um, so the upfront cost is very high, and worse yet, the longevity of the maintenance schedule. I mean, you you know, a wood product in fast growth. Uh, material today, you know, you're going to start seeing failure in paint in seven to ten years, failure in the material itself in probably 15 or 20. Um, so in, with respect to that, what we'd like to use is an engineered um, wood product. You're probably fam somewhat familiar with it. It's uh, LP Smart Side. Um, that product right now is $25.50 pre-painted. You get uh, 50 years on, uh, 50 years of, uh, you know, uh, prorated warranty on the product itself from LP. Um, we're planning on buying it through um, another manufacturer that takes their product and then finishes it. And you get 30 years on top of the 50 for paint, for chipping and um, splitting and or chipping and fade and that kind of thing. I got a couple of samples of that. I'll give it to you. Casey, could you go to page uh, 17 in the packet for us, please? I'm sorry. 
just to be clear too, Steve, uh, this is what you're proposing to put on the rear addition, correct? The addition and or um, uh, right now the south, or uh, let me get my. So right the rear of the house the would be the, the west face. West elevation would be the rear, correct? Yep. Yeah, the rear elevation is, it's got, um, it, it needs replacement at some point soon. Whether we do it all now or, um, that's my proposal to the owner is do that that face along with the addition. Um, but, you know, it'll, in the future, the rest of the house will need some attention, whether it is siding, fascia, soffit, all that kind of thing. But, um, you know, I guess the uh, um, buzzword that I'm looking for with you all is, you know, contemporary and efficient use. Um, these, these homes, I'm not sure we can really maintain them for, I mean, we're trying to maintain, hold on to the history of them, right? <clears throat> the cost of maintaining and replacing the materials today, I, I'm not sure how we can do that without finding materials that will last longer um, because we're, we're simply, you know, we're looking at a, <clears throat> a product that cuts the cost by two thirds. Um, and, you know, if you're talking about one stick, that's going to cost the owner $71.50 a piece. Um, that thing is basically that stick will give you I didn't do the. I have done the calculation. I just didn't write it down. I, I do want to bring up that the Secretary of Interior Standards. Uh, there's nothing in where we make our decision is based on costs. That, I'm sure of that. Uh, it, just just reality. to be clear, because you, you've mentioned the, you know, we're aware of what the price of materials have gone, but that uh, how how we approach this based on our parameters, uh, cost is not supposed to enter into it. I I understand. I mean, I, I came here <laughs> with that under, uh, knowledge. However, you know, the, the primary objective, though, would be to maintain some semblance of the history. And if we can't do that effectively, then we'll lose them. You know, it's, uh, in, in my opinion, I, I don't know how, um, you know, homeowners are going to be able to maintain things that maintain our history at these at the cost of what material and um, the long-term maintenance and upkeep of them are. And so that's why I'm here. Hey, have you looked into the, uh, for this, for the cedar beveled siding, have you looked into the finger jointed pre-prime? There's a finger jointed cedar. It's, uh -huh. uh, it's good quality. Uh-huh. And it, it, and it, uh, have you looked into that at all? I mean, I, I would say that would be something that would be a, a, a material that, uh, that would work. Well, um, I would say that uh, closer, specifically, please. no. Uh, pardon me? Step closer to the microphone. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I would say specifically, no. But that, you know, the product is undoubtedly, um, you know, it bothers me that it's got finger joints. Um, that's another area for failure. But um, I, I can imagine that it's, savings would be relatively insignificant compared to um, what, what I guess I'm proposing. Um, you know, the thing is, is that that stick, um, you get four inches of, four inches of uh, exposure 
that's um, it, five square feet, 5.33 square feet. <coughs> one, that, one, that one elevation is going to be eight square, 800 square feet. <laughs> so take that, take that number and multiply it times 100, and you can understand why we're standing here. <clears throat> so um, it is wood. It, it, it's not, um, you know, it's not uh, PVC siding or vinyl siding, and I can understand those issues. Um, it looks exactly the same. Uh, and so the, the, uh, the siding is one thing. The fascia and soffit is another. Those have the same issues, only somewhat worse. Um, those fascia and soffit tends to have more rot failure than siding does, probably times two. Um, I'm not sure that I introduced myself or who I am or what I do. I'm a licensed architect and a licensed builder. So there's a little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, you know knowledge there. <laughs> my you know my uh, as well, what I offer to customers is probably my mindset is more um, what is best for them or best for the building as opposed to what is the cheapest uh, how, how cheap can I do it right? So, um, I, mean, I know I'm going to run into this issue more than once with these with these uh, projects, and so I wanted to find out where you guys stand with these things. I, I'm not sure how we're going to maintain the history if we don't find a way to uh, make them cost effective to repair and cost effective to maintain. Um, you know, if we can't get past the siding then there isn't a whole lot of discussion. Uh, we don't really need to proceed to the fascia and soffit because they're the same issue. Cedar, um, you know, cedar trim, uh, particularly in this house, they've got uh, two, foot, two foot overhangs, so you're talking about uh, one by 12 for soffit or plywood, neither of which is inexpensive both of which are expensive and neither of which are good um, products for the longevity of the material. So that's the next step after we get past the siding. I, I just wanted to, I wanted to point out that since there's only four of us, any decision would have to be a unanimous approval. So uh, typically we give the applicant an opportunity to say they want to wait till there's more of us um, but I, I don't know if you want to walk through that a little bit yes yeah, talk about that at the beginning and it just yep. occurred to me certainly so I was kind of hoping that one other person would show up uh, since there are only four to, to be able to vote on it like Jeremy was just saying you'll need unanimous to, to get the approval mm -hmm. so you can now decide if you would like to postpone that until the next meeting in hopes that we would have more people because um, I guess you would have room for dissent then. So if people were to dissent, then that would not automatically mean that you, your project would be denied, if, if that makes sense. So since right now there's only four, they would all have to vote in the same way for the, the project to move. 
next month if there was more people, which I would very much hope that there would be. There's two commissioners that are uh, absent today, one of which was excused um, relatively at the last moment, and then one that is unexcused. If they both came, then you would not need unanimous consent for approval on the project. I see. So you need, there are normally seven? There are seven people that are on this board. There's a vacancy right now, so generally there are six, right, w with the vacancy. Okay, and and for um, any decision to be made, you have to have unanimous of that six or seven, or you have to have four of six or seven? The majority, correct, Jeremy? Yes, so the majority of the six is four, and since there are only four right now, you would need unanimous. I see, I see what you're saying. So you can elect if you would like to postpone it. Um, just wanted to, to let you know, and thank you, Jeremy, for pointing that out. Um, I also was wondering, Casey, can you please move uh, over to page 20, the pictures again, to show some of these things? Mm -hmm. And I kind of wanted to uh, give a, a brief walkthrough as well of, of some of the things that you were talking about here, Steve. Um, I don't know if any of you remember, a couple years ago this project came in uh, for the addition only, as far as I can tell. Um, a slightly different addition. So I just wanted to put that all on your radar and I believe that that addition did pass. Um, I don't remember if there was talks of siding materials or anything in that, but I just wanted to let you all know that there was, there was something in there. Um, the owner of this property, Bob Noble, did come to me recently for a re-roof, which I also approved. And I think that um, all these things just go hand in hand is what I'm trying to say because he only applied for the roof at the time when he applied uh, for the administrative approval. I advised Bob that, you know, why not just go back and do all of them now? It, it would just seem silly to me to kind of make a bunch of other applications over and over again. So let's just put them all back into one, the addition and the roof and the fascia and soffit and the siding. So that's where we, um, that's how we arrived at this point today. Um, I think that if we're going to work from the top down, especially, you know, the, the fascia and soffit are obviously very tied to the roof. Um, so while the roof has already been approved, I think that moving forward, the fascia and soffit work are probably going to happen if the roof gets redone. So there's just that to consider. I just want you all to be aware of this. Um, and then the, the siding is, a, is another thing um, that will come with the addition. So those are kind of separate entities in my head a little bit. Um, those are just my thoughts. As... Um, John stated earlier, and I wrote this out in the packet, probably kind of long-windedly, so I apologize for that. Um, but um, the, Secretary of the, the Secretary of the Interior Standards, number six, I believe, states that deteriorated, deteriorated materials shall be replaced rather than, uh, repaired rather, rather than replaced. When the severity of deterioration warrants replacement of a distinctive feature, the replacement should match the olden design, color, texture, and other visual qualities and where possible materials. Um, so I, I think that that is one of kind of our, our guideposts of decision making for this group. Um, and that is uh, number six. Um, so just something in, important to consider as we move forward. Um, not to say that I don't want a resolution to be reached in any capacity, but I just think that, I, I guess looking at the use of the original materials again is something that seems to be kind of core and central to what we are doing here. These products produce the, 
a visual that is exact. Um, but they last. <laughs> Uh, and they can be um, you know the, particularly when they're pre-painted by another you know another manufacturer you get the kind of longevity that you would hope for in um, virtually maintenance free stuff um, PVC of course is you don't have to paint it at all um, it's, but it's, uh, and it looks the same. Both um, LPs, LP makes trim out of the same material that, that they make the siding out of, and that's another option. Um, they also make a soffit that's vented, which is what we need. But these are the issues that I got to find answers to moving forward for this project and other projects and I'm, I'm not the first I'm sure and I'm probably not going to be the last um, but uh, you can understand when when a, when a piece of siding costs um, $71.51 and you m multiply that times 800 to do each square that's fifty seven thousand two hundred dollars to do one elevation of that home so <clears throat> and I haven't installed it yet and I, I will say when you're speaking about soffit and then I will open the discussion up to the the Commission here uh, the the wood soffit is allowed to be vented there's there's no thing um, stopping you from venting the wood soffit. So that is just another consideration to go into as well. Um, I, when I went out to look at the house as well, I didn't get up on a ladder. It was a little bit rainy that day and stuff, but um, I, I guess it'd be worth evaluating too which pieces of siding need to be replaced and if the entire elevation needs to be replaced um, or if the only sections need to be um, removed and then if, if things can go in. I know that when I went and looked at it with you, there is kind of a hodgepodge of siding yeah. uh, on the west elevation or rear of this house. Um, but I think that if not the entire side is deteriorated, then we don't need to assume that we need to replace the entire side. That's um, right. So and I do want us to also keep the, the residing of the original structure probably separate in our heads from the siding that will be applied to the addition. I think that those are two separate considerations in my mind. So uh, just something that I also want to keep clear on that point as well. But I would like to open it up for the uh, commission for any discussion and a chance to interact with the applicant. Uh, I have a question that actually might be more for you. Um, so the discussion about the roof that you had uh, recommended a uh, administrative approval of replacing the roof, but then you also mentioned that that would probably tie in with fish and soffit. So everything else we're talking about is just the rear elevation of the house. Would that apply to the front elevation of the house as well, those pieces? So I didn't, and I'm sorry if I misspoke, I didn't necessarily uh, recommend the administrative approval. Generally, roofs are just administratively approved in historic districts. Um, that administrative, or the, the application for that came to me in... I don't know if I put the month on the sheet, but it came to me pretty early this year. I want to say February or January, and it wasn't until this month that uh, Bob and Steve came to me with the fascia concerns. So I wasn't uh, aware that the two were um, 
tied in one moment. Do you need to leave, Casey? Okay. I'm going to switch places because Casey has to go to a t-ball game. So I'm going to go over there to, to field the rest of the questions. Um, but I will finish this one over here. So uh, I hope that that answers that because I, I wasn't aware that the, the fascia concerns were going to arise when I approved the roof. And um, that's always been something within the standards and guidelines if you're using dark colored roofs with dark colored drip edge and all those things that have always been historically administratively approved. Um, so there's that. Uh, I think that it would start to affect the fascia and the soffit if it came around to the front of the house. The, the fascia and soffit concerns uh, um, are going to be found in the front of the house is when it would affect it. Um, so, I would so say yeah. That, I'm sorry, pardon me. Um, I would say that, you know, when you're doing roofing, um, what happens is you find rotted things. And so you, you, you try to start uh, to address those. Um, we don't have a, a necessarily a problem with um, replacing things in like kind, um, but and you can you can apply the roof without addressing all of the fascia soffit issues. It's just you're up there, something's rotted, you need to deal with it. Um, the backside of the house, in particular, that, that which is shown in that. Um, that's, you're, now you're looking at the front side of the house, <clears throat> but the back side of the house in particular um, has a lot more failure that you can see from the ground. That is a very, and it's a, that, a, that is an addition or appears to be an addition from the original structure, which would be the, the front, side of, front side of the house. And it, it, is, it was done in a much more simple way. But you can see, in particular, on the right side of the picture that's up there now, that the fascia and soffit is rotted, falling apart, ready to hit the ground. And th that would be relative as well to um, that whole section, or the whole back half of the house. Um, <clears throat> the, the original structure actually looks to be in better shape, but um, you know, um, I'm looking at it in as well, and we probably wouldn't attack that part of it at this time, but it's just the same issues exist. Um, <clears throat> it bothers me to put plywood up there, <laughs> um, or even one by 12, um, and know that you're gonna have possible problems and. 15 or 20 years as opposed to something that's going to last 50 <clears throat> along with the relative costs of things so these are the issues that I'm trying to deal with um, I, I don't have a, a real problem using LP's product which is wood um, both the LP smart side um, solution or the use of PVC for trim boards gives you an identical appearance but obviously gives you longevity that's two, three, four times what um, those materials um, are to replace you know the original cedar 
the problem again with cedar today and i'm sure you're aware is everything today is done with uh, many the wood that you get today is fast growth wood so it's grain is much much uh, isn't, near, isn't nearly as dense as, as the material that was originally put up there in 18 whatever, 83. And so even though we replace it in kind, its longevity is less than probably half of what the original material that was put up there back in 1883 would give you. So there are issues that I'm here to try to resolve. <laughs> And they, they may, you know, my issue as an architect, I care about history, but as an architect, if we don't resolve the long-term replacement of materials, then we won't have these structures. And, and that's got to be the primary goal for you guys being, you guys sitting here, is to keep them. So <laughs> uh, people won't be able, be able to afford to repair them or maintain them. So, um, I'm, I would, any questions you have, I'll happily answer. Yeah, I was going to say, let's open it up for questions, comments. Um, I appreciate, Luis, what you said about separating the addition from the, the home. Um, yeah, I, I, we see a lot of these. We tend to deny them, yeah. um, to be frank. Right. So I, I, it's always a spirited debate. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to have it again. But I guess what questions do folks have? I would, um, you know, since it is such a hodgepodge of a house, um, I typically anything vinyl related at all I, it's a it's a fast no for me but yep. if it's an addition in the back i could see maybe using something like this as a, a siding on the back but going in and using it on the rest of the house the original house it would be i wouldn't be comfortable with that um when i know that there is wood product to you know to repair it uh, um, you're saying <clears throat> you you would um possibly allowed on the back of the house but uh, on a new addition if you're I building see. a full new addition you know we're looking for something to show that that's separate from the historical original house anyways and so in that case I would be more comfortable with having it there but interweaving it in the roof line and the siding you know uh, you know a, a material like this I just wouldn't be comfortable with and you know uh -huh. wouldn't support so okay so I um, or, or we should be specific. Um, you know, the fascia soft fit trim is one thing. The siding is another. And so I, I brought that up. And uh, I, I, my intent was to attack the siding first, deal with the trim and fascia second. Um, well, it also historically, since we've denied so many other applicants for basically micro parts of the same project in the same thing, I would, I just don't think it would be fair to go back against that, um, th those further rulings. I mean, and I'm, I'm open to discuss that. Yeah, I mean, we do, each case stands alone, just, yeah. you know, we don't have to think of it that way, but I certainly appreciate what you're saying, so. 
John, any? Just my on. I feel weird because I can't see everyone now. Hey, you are. Uh, just to be clear again, uh, like Steve was saying, just so I, I want to make sure that we're all talking about the same things uh, to avoid confusion or, um, and I guess just for the sake of brevity. Um, so we have the rear addition that needs to be sided by virtue of it being built and it needs cladding. There is also siding that needs to be addressed on the rear of the house. You know, th there are rear additions on this house that are old and they've probably gained some historic status in, in, in their old age. Um, so those are the two siding components that I, am I addressing that correctly? Yeah. Uh, okay. The, the back of the house has, um, you know, an, uh, an addition and siding on it. Yep. And then. That are um, like the remainder of the house. Yep. Um, the, it also has multiple versions on the same face. So it, that, that's, that was the reason for discussing simply the backside of the house um, as well as that's where the additions going so that that means that you know in order to flash it correctly I got to remove the siding around the perimeter of the new addition and then that's of course whether it comes off in one piece is another issue um, and then it just seems relatively um, you know, you, you, it's hard to tell from the picture, but there, there's a, it has different, you know, just from a carpentry standpoint, particularly on the right, upper right quarter, you can see that it's got, um, um, you know, different exposure sizes, <laughs> as well as, um, you know, um, on the left side, there is sort of a ship's lap as opposed to, as opposed to, um, you know, regular lap siding. So there's four, maybe four different, three different um, looks happening on that one elevation just be, over time. Um, so that that discussion was, a I got to take a, some a bunch of it off, and at that point maybe we ought to consider just replacing all of it. Um, I'm, I'm still um, hopeful that you might consider, um, you know, an alternative uh, material given that it is wood um, and it does give you the exact look that uh, a normal lap siding would. Yeah, virtually all siding is an attempt to mimic what was original cedar lap siding um, but they've done a pretty good job with a product that is um, you know gives you quite a quite a warranty uh, at a cost that's believable <laughs> so yeah and I, I just wanted to bring it up so we we knew the distinction there and then there's also the the second part which I, I guess I don't find necessarily all the way inextricably bound but I don't you know redoing the roof it wouldn't be, the roof could be put on, I'm sure, without having to disrupt or completely destroy all the fascia and soffit, in, in my opinion. I mean, um, but doing so, you don't just want to have bad things sitting up and under a new roof that you just built. So then that is the second part of the discussion. I think if we're going to put this into two uh, discrete parts for the conversation for the sake of discussing it, then would be using 
synthetic materials, namely PVC and vinyl for fascia and soffit on this house. So there's deciding on the existing rear, deciding on the proposed addition, and then the fascia and soffit around um, the entire house. So just, just to clarify for the commissioners. Yeah, I've been trying to, I see this is a, it's a 12 by eight addition with a shed roof, is that correct? Yeah. Okay, and I see a plan drawn section some eve detail maybe i didn't get it in my packet but there's not a west elevation drawing of it correct i did not draw okay that. that's i just want to make sure because we're right. it's taking it seems like it's taking us a little bit to get figure out see what we're where we're where we're at here okay that's yeah and luis is and i think other uh commissioners have said we're separating this pretty much into two different things. If we were, if if you elected to uh, see if there's going to be a motion and and have a vote tonight, that we're treating the addition in as a total separate piece from any other work that's going to happen on the original house. Am, am I correct in that? Okay, good. I just want to make sure. And again, to clarify to you, Steve, that there are only four commissioners. So if you'd like to postpone the vote to when there's more commissioners right now for a motion to pass, all four of the, the, the commissioners would need to, to vote um, in the affirmative. So I see. Um, that. And um, there's, um, and so I, I don't pay another, fee. We, we don't pay another fee to come back uh, next month. Because no, you guys could just come back on it. Uh, there, right. there was, you know, you can always elect to postpone. Yeah, I would, I would uh, postpone, I believe, but, um, you know, uh, this issue is not going to stop. <laughs> it's, it's, and I, I get it. You know, basically, my opinion is the section that Lewis read. Um, seems to clearly allow the use of alternative materials that um, you know provide a contemporary and efficient use and so I I'm not sure where some of us are reading the the thing you know the intent properly I also understand that it was written a long long time ago um, so you know hopefully I've given you some things to think about maybe differently than other applicants have but um, it's an issue that's not going to go away you know i mean okay i i guess do we we can just table it till next time i don't know if we have to make a motion to postpone or um i believe it, i think there is a commission well there's to provide additional materials yeah, I, I would just make the motion to, to postpone it until next time, if, if that is the, the motion. Um, there should be in the packets that you all have, there are ways to make motions. I don't have it in front of me. Yep. Um, no, but, I'm looking at it. Okay. It's, or uh, sorry, in the folders too, like the, yeah, those purple ones. I make a motion to postpone this to the next uh, meeting. Uh, the applicant must provide additional materials and information uh, I don't know if we need to add that part. But yeah, I, I make a motion to postpone to the next meeting so you have more folks. Right. Uh, yeah, you have a better shot at it. Right, right. All right, thank you. All right, thank you. Do you answer a second? Second. Thank you. Um, Andrew, I guess before we just vote, I, I want to just say I, 
appreciate what you're saying. I, I do think that the, the standard says where possible materials, and when we're talking about repair work, um, at least my personal opinion is if we've got to replace a piece of fascia board, we replace a piece of fascia board. I don't, I don't see why we would need to replace it with PVC board, but that's my personal, personal feeling, so. And I'll say a, a 12 by eight addition on the rear elevation, what's not viewable from the road, I'm gonna be more inclined because we are not anti-alternative materials. I mean, the history, and definitely my history bears that out. And where it's situated on the property and coming off from the house, um, you know, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a lost cause with with every voter. Yeah. Just just to let you know that right now, moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I think there is a distinction between the addition and potentially even the rear of the house. Um, That's that, why I was really clarifying. And Luis led us toward. You know, it was it was a little unclear to me, and now I think we have some clarity on what's here, and I think it'll be we get a little better idea at the at the next meeting. And, and I'm right there with you. Like the addition in the rear of the house is not as much an issue for me as, yeah. Okay. Okay, uh, Louise, could we have a roll call vote to postpone till next meeting? Yep. Uh, Andrew? Yes. Dan? Yes. Jeremy? Yes. John? Yes. Okay, okay. so Steve, I will send out an email tomorrow just letting you know that this meeting has been postponed until the January, June 21st meeting of the Historic District Commission, um, and we can also speak anytime in between then, obviously. Okay. Um, Thank you for coming all today. Right. Thank you. There are two pieces of material. Yeah, so odd being over here, but moving forward, uh, our next, our first applicant, however you want to uh, term that, uh, is, is not here this evening. Um, I don't know if you all had a chance to look over the proposed project for that, um, but there are, again, are only four of you, so it would need to be a unanimous decision moving forward on that, and the applicant isn't here. Uh, I will leave it up to uh, you all to decide on how we move forward with um, this property. Yeah, I mean, my preference is to move it to next week or next month. I, I, I don't know. I don't remember ever voting on one in the last five and a half years where the applicant wasn't here. So. Okay. Did you, have we heard from, do you know why the applicant is not here or do they, they know I do they not. I uh, sent out the, the, the okay. meeting notices for everyone on the same day on the 10th before I left. Um, emailed and physical mail okay so. yeah I mean I think we've I as, as I say that I do remember doing one or two in the past but they were specific with Sharon they were going to be here and ask Sharon to kind of present the case um, so I guess we need another motion <laughs> I make a motion we postpone 806 South Westage uh, to see if the applicant is at the next meeting all right thank you John is there a second Second. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, roll call vote, please. Yep, Andrew. Yes. Dan. Yes. Jeremy. Yes. John. Yes. Okay. All right. Moving on. 
Oops, that's last week's or last month's. So that looks. Oh, I had mixed up my papers. Yeah, sorry. I just I got I got my stuff out of order and now I'm. You, Thank you, I'm sorry. Somehow I have, it's like my desk, I've misplaced, yeah, I've misplaced my papers. Um, okay, so yeah, next on the agenda is approval of the, yeah, where is it on the agenda? Oh, I think it's a formatting, yeah, formatting issue maybe. Um, so approval of the minutes from uh, April 19th, 2022. Any additions or amendments to the minutes as they were written that we need to be aware of? I didn't see any personally. Oh, there we go. All right, is there a motion to approve the minutes? Uh, so moved. Thank you, Andrew. Second. Thank you, Dan. All right, those in favor of approving the minutes will say aye. 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 Any opposed? All right, hearing none, the minutes are approved. Administrative approvals, anything worth noting, Luis, that you'd like to inform the commission about? Uh, I need to find where they are in this thing. Uh, no, not that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, No, there's nothing okay. that's really, really crazy going on with them. I, I will say, though, that um, there were a lot of uh, owner-occupied houses that were bought um, on the last round of, I guess, sales that came through. I don't know what to call that. Um, three of them qualifying for NEZ, as you can see in the packet, so Neighborhood Enterprise Zone. Um, I just always think that's kind of cool to, to, to see, so... It's, I'm sure, very rewarding to be able to use those credits. So. Yeah. Uh, no other business, so we are to adjournment. Is there a motion to adjourn? A motion to adjourn. All right, thank you. Second that. All right, those in favor will say aye. 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 Any opposed? Hearing none, we are adjourned at 6.12 p.m. Thank you. <laughs>